This episode of the podcast is sponsored by How's About That Then? The authorised biography of Jimmy Savile by Alison Bellamy The Truth Behind the Legend I'm going to be giving some short readings from the book His mum, the Duchess, had always kept a letter he'd written at school on a typewriter as a project. The note, dated April 1934, asks his father for pocket money. It states his name and address, James Savile, 22 Consort Terrace, and says, Daddy, it is Saturday. Please can we have our penis if you can spare it? Well, Mr. Savile. His spelling may not have been up to much, but his direct way of asking for pennies was marked 100% excellent by a teacher. His approach to securing funds was to stand him in good stead for the rest of his life. Later, he would sometimes drive back to his old school and sit outside in his car in clouds of cigar smoke to reminisce. Baby, 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 I thought we were friends and shit. And now you got some stinky ass hump bogart looking sucker asking all my friends all these questions about Agenda 21 and shit. I told you Agenda 21 was a yawn fest, baby. No point discussing it or reading it. You sound like the kind of record scratch that will get a DJ fired from one of my parties. Get out the mansion, loser. Kim.com don't even read the Call of Duty manual, but ain't no one ever come close to my game, Gigolo. And it's the same with Agenda 21, homie. It's safe. It's as safe as a drunk girl alone in one of Kim.com's 500 bedrooms. You saying I don't know what time it is? I'm your main homeboy. I sponsored your podcast and you used up all the money making 5,000 episodes of some chatty-ass sci-fi bullshit and sending them into space on writable CDs from a warehouse didn't even keep a copy. I know that shit all along, cause I'm the wiki wiki whack whacker hacker. I'm the all-seeing eye like those Illuminati crackers. Said I ain't wasting all my time up a pyramid jacking off to a giant owl statue. I'm too busy partying, baby. Partying for your right to fight. Who wants to have a revolution? Everybody say bye-bye to Mr. Jonathan Key. Thanks to me. K to the I to the M to the dot com. I'm a revolutionary. And history always tells us that no revolutionary ever turned out to be evil after they overthrew the government. So you can trust me. So step off my penis and stop sniffing around Agenda 21. You feel me? How's about that then? Out of the hundreds of wishes I made come true, one that sticks out is a blind old lady who wrote in to me saying she had composed a piece of music and she wanted me to fix it so the London Symphony Orchestra would play it. We arranged for Prime Minister Sir Edward Heath to conduct it. A fortnight later she was at home with all her neighbours and they watched the show and she cried out that she could see again. We never usually did a second Jim will fix it for anyone, but we invited her back after she could see again because all her life she had wanted to ride a motorbike. We got her a three-wheeled scooter and she had the time of her life. That was a great memory from the show. Gordon. Uh, national are known criminals now, which means if they get re-elected, all crime will be legal, which should make it easier for me to find employment. 
this is how John Key answers any question, right? If you ask ask me a question like, uh, Prime Minister John Key, why do you always say something and never follow up on it? Oh, well, New Zealanders aren't really interested in that. New Zealanders aren't really interested in words I say or politics or anything. They're, they're just interested in like fishing and rugby and, you know, doing the haka, none of which could have existed under a Labour government. I know this isn't a particularly unique view, but I really hate John Key. He's, he's been sexist, racist and homophobic, and no one really seems to care about that. Because I'm a feminist, and feminism is a tight line to walk. People say that feminism is Zionist Illuminati propaganda, but that's just a stupid thing to say. The Illuminati is a male-only organization, they don't allow women. Some feminists say rape is never funny, never. But I don't think you can say anything is never funny. Here's a time when rape is really funny and it really makes me laugh. <clears throat> when uh, every couple of months or so, a police officer gets enough sexual assault claims made against him to be named and shamed on Radio New Zealand. I think that's fucking hilarious. It's a running joke, but it stays funny. And there's a new fad as well I've noticed on Facebook, women against feminism. Women against feminism. That is mental. And people say, oh, I'll, you know, you just need to be educated on feminism, what feminism really is and stuff. And I, I, I always want to go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. If they don't want to know about feminism, don't tell them. Just send them around to my place. I'll have them in my kitchen in a cheerleader outfit and if they say no, well, they're not allowed to say no because they don't want feminism. And uh, if you try and give them the right to say no against their will, you're forcing feminism upon them and that makes you a feminazi. So any women against feminism, send them around my place. Cheers. I have a relationship with this god, who is everything to me. The relationship seems to work out alright because I am a contented person in the middle of a very discontented type of business, in the middle of a discontented type of world. I believe that god is very easy going, and I believe that he allows you to waver now and again, if you are generally facing in the right direction. Welcome back to Doomsday Preppers. Wade has been preparing his family and neighbors against government tyranny. Wade, our prepper experts have completed their assessment of your plan. Your hidden underground vault is impressive, and your food supplies, medkits, and weaponry will be great survival tools. However, you made one big mistake by allowing a documentary film crew to film your location and training exercises for them to put on the TV where the government can see it. Well, shit! I gots to revalute my plan. Uh, I got him. Give the tapes over here or I'll kill the narrator. This is a volatile situation. Wade needs to show he can keep his cool in extreme circumstances. Or my life may be on the line. Whoops. 
false story that Jimmy had collapsed and died on Christmas Day 1994 was broadcast by Radio 1 presenter Chris Morris and followed up by some independent radio stations. Jimmy answered his phone on Christmas Day to put the record straight that he was indeed still alive. His phone never stopped ringing to check he was alright. His solicitors sent illegal letters seeking damages. <laughs> and that reminds me, by the way, Stuart Lee, stop hogging Chris Morris. Bloody, he needs to be doing his own shows, not yours. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please stand for Sir Jimmy Savile's favourite song, the vulgar and pompous Edward Elgar's Pomp and Circumstance March Number no. 1 in D Major. Film. I'd like to kill Jimmy Savile. Oh, he's a hypocrite. That is into all kinds of seediness that we all know about but are not allowed to talk about. I know some rumours. <laughs> well, people always tell you things, don't they? Ain't I a bitch, eh, don't you think? On occasion. I bet none of this will be allowed out. I shouldn't imagine libelous stuff would be allowed out. Nothing I said is liable. But the idea that youngsters um, were a bit of a prey, and that we, we, everybody knew that, which is why it's so extraordinary that there's any sort of mystery. Into the, when the ex-head of BBC, uh, Mark Thompson, the other week said, that's the first time, I was like, I don't know that you know. Said, <laughs> head of BBC and you don't know that, don't be ridiculous, you know. It just, it, it, that's absolute nonsense. So, no, I wasn't surprised at all. some sort of censorship committee that we don't know about 
who suppresses these things and somebody gets together in a room and, and says, you know, well, if it hadn't said, oh, no, that thing would have come on. He was a friend of Prince Charles and he looked awfully bad on Prince Charles and the child said he would be a pearl, wouldn't he? And somebody decides, yes, you're quite right, we'll keep it quiet, you know, nobody will ever find out. Oh, um, I don't know who that would be then. I really don't know who that would be. This week we reported that in 1979, victim Steve Meesham handed police Polaroids that showed boys being raped and several faces of abusers. They eventually led to two convictions, including that of Gary Cook. But then the photos disappeared. Do you know what happened to those? An order was made for the destruction of those books and photographs. Uh, it's contained... And you, you know that from paperwork? In, in, from court? Yes. And you have it when there? I do, yes. Well, what does it say? The order is to be made for destruction of the books and the photographs. Why would that be? Why would the photographs be destroyed? I've got no idea. In a statement, the BBC said it conducted extensive searches of its files to establish whether there is any record of misconduct or allegations of misconduct by Sir Jimmy during his time at the BBC. No such evidence has been found. Nick, four years ago I asked you what were you going to do about institutional paedophile operating in this country now. Your reply to me, Nick, was I don't know what you mean by institutional paedophile rings. Do you understand what I was talking about four years ago now, Nick, and stay in my eyes? Oh, thank you. Gotcha. What about Leon Britton? When are we going to get him out? Not the BBC's most triumphant hour. 